Good morning, church. We're away for the week up in upstate New York. We're taking our daughter to do a college visit and then doing some fun stuff up there, calling it our vacation this year. So thanks for letting me be away. But I wanted to be the one who brought you the second part of this really two-part sermon. We started it last week talking about John chapter 9 and about the healing of this man. But what we said is it's not a passage about healing. That is the avenue for Jesus to talk about the great works of God. And we define those. The great works of God in the book of John is testifying to proclaiming God's message about Jesus. And so we challenged ourselves with the question of what is your life testifying to? How are you testifying to Jesus? So I hope you've been processing that this week. In fact, we prayed and we challenged you to proclaim Jesus to someone this past week. And I would love to hear your stories and your testimonies. You can do it one of two ways. You can let me know on the prayer text that goes out tomorrow, or if you have my my phone number or the email that's on our website, windoverhills.org, just shoot me a little message and just say in a couple sentences, I proclaim Jesus to this person and tell me a little bit about how that went. So let's jump into the rest of this story. If you remember, we finished off with the Pharisees questioning. We called it the first interrogation of this man who had been healed. And this man had said Jesus was the one who healed him. And he even went so far to call him a prophet. But he was yet to say anything regarding Messiah or anything regarding, regarding being of God or that this man had become a follower of Jesus. Now, we pick it up in verse 18 of chapter 9. So I hope you're there. I hope you're not just staring and being entertained. Open your Bible and get in there. Chapter 9, verse 18. We find the Pharisees are like, we don't believe this. And so they call in, get this, it's a grown man, and they call in his parents. This happens in verse 18. And they say to the parents, listen, we don't understand how he sees. Now, the parents, they know it's their son. They know how their son was born, how he grew up, and now he can see. They have to be celebrating and rejoicing, probably confuse themselves. But they say to the religious leaders, listen, he's a grown man. Ask him. Why are you asking us? Go ask him. He's old enough to respond for himself. Why did the parents do this? Well, because they feared the Jewish authorities. They really feel that they would be expelled from the synagogue if they spoke about Jesus in any way. So they just say, hey, go ask him. And this is going to set up a second interrogation in just a moment. So they call in the parents. But here's why. Association with Jesus was grounds for removal from the temple. That's what the religious leaders had established at this point. If you are in any way, if we deem you a follower of Jesus, a sympathizer to Jesus, if you're even searching for Jesus, you were rejected, rejected and removed from the temple. And this was happening. And you got to understand, temple was life 
for the people in Jesus' day. Nothing was more important than temple and temple worship. In their views, there was no other place to worship except to going to maybe synagogue in another city. But if you were in Jerusalem, being in temple and worshiping at the synagogue at temple, that was life. And so for that to be removed, for them, they felt like, how, how can we worship God? How can we be right with God? How can we hear from God? How will our sins be forgiven? All of that was, uh, was gone for them if they didn't have temple. And so it was so, so important. And here, the Pharisees were setting up ways where people were rejected from temple. Now, I told you last week that even this man born blind, even though the Old Testament says nothing about a blind person not being allowed in temple, or John chapter 5, a man born with uh, paralyzed legs, nothing about him not being allowed, the Pharisees had decided you probably could not take care of yourself, and therefore you probably had made yourself unclean in some other way, and so not allowed in temple. You got to understand how important this is and why Jesus is pushing hard against the religious leaders. Let me give you three quick, so you understand this, three quick roles that temple leaders were to play. Now, there were several different kind of temple leaders. We don't have time to go in and, and distinguish all of them. So let me just lump them together, temple leaders. There was three specific roles. There was many roles, but here's three. One, they were there to help people offer themselves in worship. That was one of their roles, to usher people in. Welcome to temple. May God be with you. May God hear you. May God bless you. And to usher them in and help them to offer themselves in worship to God. It's why I talk to you about that. Almost every time when we pray, I invite you to offer yourself to God because that is what the church is here for. The church is not here to entertain you. The church is not designed so you walk away and say, wow, that really hit me where, where I'm at. I like the music. I like the preaching. I like this. No, this place is designed that you would come and you would offer yourself to God. Have you thought about church in that way? That's what temple was for. Second thing, it was to lead people for forgiveness of their sins. It was help people understand we serve a God of forgiveness, a God who offers this exaltion from your sin. You don't have to live in the guilt of your sin. God offers forgiveness. Now, God also declares very clearly how he wants us to live, how he wants us to think, what he wants priorities to be as he is a God of love and care, but he offers forgiveness. And then we find that one of the roles is to teach the law and how to live the law out, to teach God's word. They would have known it as the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. For us today, we teach the entire Bible and we focus on Jesus and the life he brings. We focus on people like Paul and Peter and John who heard Jesus and they write about what they understood and how it plays out in life. So, you can see these roles of the temple were so important. And Jesus is declaring over and over in the book of John, 
you Pharisees are not fulfilling your role. You're not ushering people in. You're not helping them understand forgiveness. In fact, you're heaping guilt. And you're not teaching the law, not in the way God intended the law to be shared. Listen, when I hear these things, and I think of you and I here, believers at Wendover Hills, I see us with the same responsibilities. We're now the priesthood of all believers. The Holy Spirit is with us all. And so you and I are called to help people come in and to help offer themselves to God and worship. We're here to help people know there's no shame and guilt, but there is forgiveness in God. And we're here to let people know this is what God's word really says. This is what Jesus came to really offer. He is the light and the life that he wants to offer you. Listen, we can't just be spectators in this thing we call church. We have to, you and I, we have to, we need to invite people in to worship, to invite them in. We think sometimes like, hey, if they're not here, they're just kind of rejecting it. No, I only look at it this way. If we are not inviting them intentionally to come to be with us or proclaiming Jesus and talking to them, if we're not offering invitation, they're not really rejecting anything because we're not inviting. And so we, just like the temple leaders, need to carry out these roles. And I don't know about you, but I don't want Jesus looking at me and saying, Tom, you're not fulfilling these roles as a believer in Jesus Christ. Not as a pastor, though I take that very seriously, but as a believer in Jesus, these are roles we need to each fulfill. Now, that leads to this second interaction. We're going to call it the second interrogation. Uh, they call in the man. This picks up in verse 26. They call him in for the second time. And what they declare, first of all, is they say to him, give glory to God. Now, here's what they're trying to say. They're saying, don't dare proclaim Jesus's name. Give glory to God. And in that, what they're really saying is Jesus has no connection with God. Give the glory to God, not to Jesus. Now, you and I might say, if I'm giving glory to Jesus, I am giving glory to God and vice versa. That is not how the religious leaders would think. So they push him in that way. They say, God healed you, not Jesus. God healed you. If you're healed, it didn't come from him. The Pharisees are denying Jesus is of God. And so we have to understand this guy is hearing this, and then they go a step further. They say this, he's a sinner. Now, when they say this, you and I, we understand the Christian message that we are sinners saved by God's grace. We're not perfect, right? We blow it, but we are forgiven. And then we stand up, and in the Holy Spirit, we walk forward with him, living out. But that's not how they looked at it. They looked at it as he's a sinner, Therefore, God could do nothing through him. And that's what they're declaring to this guy by this simple message, saying, give glory to God, not to Jesus. He's nothing. He's nothing. Now, I don't know. There might have been a little bit of baiting of the man to say, now, what, how will he respond? What will he now say about Jesus? Well, he does respond. And he goes, listen, I don't know anything about that. I don't know if he's a sinner don't know. But this is what I do know. I was blind, 
I couldn't see. Now I see. This becomes his third opportunity to testify. We talked about one and two last week. His third opportunity to testify, and this is what he does. He is testifying to the work of Jesus. He's testifying to what Jesus did in his life. Listen, a few months back, I challenged you to write out your story. I said, talk about what was life like before Jesus? And then why did you come to know Jesus? And what was life like afterwards? And this man is looking and he's saying, listen, let me tell you, I couldn't see. I met Jesus. Now <laughs> I see. You see what he's saying there? He's offering testimony here in this third. He's offering testimony about what did Jesus do in my life? Listen, you and I can learn something from this. People need to know what Jesus did in your life. Everything. If you deem it small, big, it doesn't matter. People need to know what did Jesus do in your life? If you're somebody that you just spoke trash out of your mouth and you cease that and you give glory to God for that, people need to know, Jesus, Jesus healed me from that. Jesus challenged me in that area. People need to know that. And that is what he's offering. He's saying he has the ability to heal. So I don't know if about sinner, but I do know he indeed did the healing in a little way, he is saying to him, to the Pharisees, I can't just give glory to God and ignore Jesus because Jesus healed me. There must be some connection. He is hinting that Jesus is of God. Now, he's being very careful in how he says this because he knows if he proclaims Jesus, he's out of the temple. His eyes just were open. He's not blind anymore. Now he can be in temple. So he's being a little careful. Well, they, they push on him a little bit more here, if you uh, pick it up in verse 27. And then he says this, listen, I've already told you this. We're just going over the same thing. Why do you want to hear it again? And then he actually throws a little, uh, a little snippy, a little almost cynical uh, phrase in. He says this, uh, is it because you too want to be his disciples? Do you want to be his disciples too? Uh, almost like a throwing it back on them because he, he knows what they're going to say. Listen, this is his fourth opportunity to testify. And he's not just answering question now. He's actually starting to take the lead. And notice what he says in verse 27. Do you want to become his disciples too? This word too is his way of saying, I'm a disciple I've decided I am going to be a follower of Jesus. In all this interaction that we've just had and what I saw, what you're proclaiming about Jesus and what I saw don't match up, I'm going to follow this. He's declaring here for the first time, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And this is a powerful moment that he's declaring now I'm going to be a disciple, a believer, a follower of Jesus. He's, he's saying more than just, like, I fall in line with the belief system. He's saying, I've seen Jesus with my own eyes. I've seen what he's done. I've experienced now transformation. I will be a follower. Can I just tell you something? One of the things I pray for you quite regularly 
is this, is that one day, for many of you, not everyone, but for many of you, that you would stand up and you would declare, I am a disciple of Jesus. I will be a disciple of Jesus. That you would move past this idea of, I come to church, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. You would get past just a simple belief system, which is powerful and important, and you would decide with your life, with your actions and what you do, that you are a disciple of Jesus. Listen, a disciple has to be a follower. A disciple has to be an imitator of Jesus. Otherwise, we are not disciples. We are not followers. And this man is now declaring, I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to be a follower. I'm a believer in this way. I'm just positive. He went out and his life looked different in what he did. I think he probably physically followed Jesus as well. Certainly, he went out and declared Jesus to others in his life. Notice the disciples, they got it right away. They knew what he was saying right away. Verse 28, you are his disciples. Well, we're not. We're Moses' disciples. They're trying to say, we're even greater than what you're declaring because we're Moses' disciples. Why did they say that? Well, we only follow Moses' law. Moses gave us the law in the Old Testament. You remember the story? So we're even greater than that. You can see the disconnect that they have with Jesus entirely. But the man, he's seen through it all. He's seen through it. And he's decided, this is how I'm going to go. That is what I pray for you. Who wants to live boring Christianity that's just filled with coming and sitting for an hour a week that just has a belief system who wants to live that? Most people walk away from that at some point because they understand it doesn't have purpose and impact and meaning. But to stand and declare, I am a disciple. I will follow Jesus. I will be like him. I will impersonate him. What's important to him is important to me. And I will do that. That is powerful Christianity. That is life-changing Christianity. And if you're not experiencing that, wow, what better day than this morning to declare, to not leave here without saying, I'm going to be a disciple. And your next step may be like, I got to get educated on who Jesus is. Maybe you've been sitting in church a while and you're not educated on it. Open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Mark's a great place to start. And just start reading about Jesus. Well, the man wants to go even further. And so uh, part three of this message, we get this man's sermon. Now he's going to turn to the religious leaders and he's no longer going to be answering their questions. He is now going to give them what we'll call a sermon. He's going to give them a teaching or maybe you say a lecture. He's going to say verse 30 to 34. If you take a look at this, he's going to say, look, he healed me. And you don't know if he's from God? You're the religious leaders, and you don't understand that if he healed me, he must be from God. Why? Because he says in his sermon here, a powerful one, only God listens. God, oh, excuse me, God only listens to those who get this, follow God, not sinners. 
God's not listening to people who are openly rejecting him. God's listening to those who follow him. And if Jesus wasn't from God, he couldn't heal. Couldn't heal. So he couldn't have healed me if he wasn't from God. This is a powerful and very logical sermon that this person is giving. It's powerful, but he's lecturing the religious leaders. What he is saying is, I have seen through the religious system you've created. I've seen through the legalism you've created. And I have seen Jesus. And that's the person I'm going to follow. Because it's clear what he does, that's from God. And I've experienced it as well. Well, I've told you that anyone who was a follower of Jesus was not looked well from the religious leaders, and they had power and authority in the temple, so they would end up expelling. So what do they say? You were born in sin. Notice, I mean, this is, this is very interesting. Verse 34, they responded, you were born completely in sin. Why is that such a big deal? This is the exact opposite of what Jesus said about this man. Do you remember it from last week? The disciples first seeing this guy, hey, rabbi, hey, Jesus, who sinned that he was born blind? Was it the man or was it his parents? And how did Jesus respond? No one. Neither he nor his parents. This was done that the mighty works, the testifying and proclaiming of God would be done in him. And what is happening? He is proclaiming Jesus to the religious leaders. And they are then seeing it for the exact opposite of the way Jesus sees him. Can I tell you something? If we're not careful sometimes in our world, all our friends who are far from God, your coworkers, your family members, all they see is a religious system. All they see is something that feels like a rejection when it's the exact opposite message of Jesus. Jesus' message is, you are welcome. I love you. Come in. Let me do for you as I've done for others. Let me bring transformation to your life. They need to hear Jesus's message for them. This man, he heard it. And now he's hearing the exact opposite. But it doesn't matter. He's decided to become a follower of Jesus, not the temple. Well, the religious leaders, they do what they've been doing. You follow God like we say, or you get out. And we find in verse 34, at the end of verse 34, then they expelled him. Hey, here's what I want you to do on your own this week. Uh, Maybe you'll do it tomorrow morning for your devotion. Go read verse 35 through 38. Just this little passage about Jesus going and finding the man. And you'll see it. I get the picture. Jesus goes and he's just like, yes, you did it. That was awesome. He doesn't use those words. So you go read that so you can see it. That's just the feeling that you get. But Jesus even calls them to a higher level of belief. And so I'm going to let that be a personal thing with you and the Lord because that higher level of belief, that might be what Jesus is calling you to. He might be calling you this morning to simply decide this. 
are you a disciple or are you not? In fact, there are times when we're talking with my kids about uh, whom they might date, you know, who they might marry down the road. And I've always told them, and, and I've got to be careful on how I say this because you might take it the wrong way. So let me explain. I've always told them, listen, being a Christian is not enough. And this is what I mean by that, is we've taken that term Christian and we just attach it to belief system or I went to church or th- that kind of thing. I always ask them, do they love Jesus? Would you call him a disciple of Jesus? That is a very different question. Could be this morning that the challenge of the story we read is that you stand and declare, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. I've been an attender. I've been a belief system person. But that is not played out in my life as a disciple, an impersonator, a follower of Jesus. And this morning, I want to declare, I am a disciple of Jesus. That might be the thing that you post and explain in your social media as we talked about last week. But more importantly, declare it with your life. Declare it and how you live and what's important to you. Then this week, you might read that passage. You might read John 9, 35 through 38 every morning. And God might even call you to another level of belief, which I'll let you discover on your own when you read that passage. Can I give you a couple questions that we asked last week? Let's finish this way. What are you testifying to? What is your life testifying to? Is it testifying to Jesus? How are you testifying about Jesus? What does that look like? And if I saw that testimony, if someone else saw that testimony, would they walk away and say, now that person is a disciple of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, challenge us this week. Father, wherever we're at with you, (laughs) there is this another level of belief. There's this another opportunity to hear deeper from you. And it may be very well that many walk out of here this morning, having declared now in their heart, I am a disciple. I will be a disciple. Oh, what celebration that would be. How exciting that would be to hear testimony of people, even Christians, becoming disciples. I pray it would happen right now as I'm praying. And then, Lord, if there be any barrier, if there be anything that's set up, if there's be anything that's holding back, any, anything that's bondage to us, to being a disciple, Lord, would that be the thing we deal with right here, right now? And we understand that you are a God of love, a God of grace, a God of forgiveness, and there's no condemnation for those who are in you, is what Romans 8.1 tells us. So lead us out in that way, Lord, and may we proclaim and testify, and in doing so, know that we are doing the great works of God, and not through this man that we read about, but through us, like we learned. I pray it in your son's name. Amen.